to the first episode of Diversity Season 2. We are live, I hope. Um, I'd like to welcome all my guests. Um, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, I know everyone's really busy with National Inclusion Week happening this week, so um, I appreciate everyone taking out the time. Uh, which brings us to the topic of discussion for this week's episode, um, which is inclusion. So I'm really excited about the questions we're going to get into, but just quickly, if I could just get people to um, just introduce who they are, what it is that they do, um, and then we'll we'll dive right in. So we'll start with you, Jack. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Jack. Uh, I am the co-founder of Dink. Uh, and Dink is a brand new soft launch stage social and professional networking app uh, with a focus on inclusivity and diversity. We're live in the app stores now, um, but we're going to be pushing towards a full launch at the end of this month. Um, what we're trying to do is create a safe platform where people can express who they are and where businesses can connect and engage in meaningful conversations around inclusion. Um, We've created the platform to encourage more collaboration uh, among people, among networks, uh, among businesses and industries at a top level uh, when tackling d issues uh, and promoting what they're doing within the space. Uh, to do that, the app itself is a number of networks uh, that people can join. We can also create private networks if you've got like a small group that you're a part of in location-wise, so say if you're in a women's network in Bristol, we can set you up with a, a private network, um, and we've got a lot of content on there, and we're going to be pushing um, for a lot more. We've got a lot of amazing contributors as well that have started to use the app, so that's a bit of an overview of thinking and what I'm doing in this place at the moment. Cool, and we're one of those amazing contributors, obviously. Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we'll come to Charlotte next. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, hi everyone and listeners. My name is Charlotte Wells. Um, I work for uh, Experian, a big data and financial services provider um, around the globe, really. But I'm uh, sat in my little home office in a small uh, village called Haddon in Loughborough, Leicestershire. Um, so I've worked, wore um, a few hats in my time at Experian. Um, I joined as part of the recruitment team and um, was there for a few years um, and that's how I actually came to meet Chris was because of our um, our previous engagement in uh, how we recruit um, diverse talent within the Nottingham region. Um, I then moved into a global HR position which looked after the diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, it was an absolutely fantastic role, um, one that saw me setting some really ambitious targets for experience uh, diversity agenda. Um, recently moved back to recruitment though, uh, recruiter at heart, you can't keep me away from it. Um, so I've been back for four weeks now, um, still with my um, diversity hat on still, so looking at how do we recruit um, equally and fairly to ensure that we have the best possible talent um, leading experience way in the future. So that's me. Amazing, thank you. And we'll start uh, Steve as well. Hey everyone, so um, I'm Steve, I'm the founder of Brandyman, uh, an agency set up a couple of years ago. Um, basically, I'm on a bit of a mission working with employers and getting them to improve their communications, basically, in my head, are obviously restore teacher, basically. 
And so social mobility is really important to me. And there's this phrase that bounces around when we're talking about diversity, if you can't think, you can't see. Um, and I look at it and kind of go, well, actually, well, can't understand what's explained thoroughly either. So um, a big part of communications is actually helping people to understand doing once they get into the world. I do. Amazing, thank you. And Amy? Hi, yeah, I'm Amy. I'm a London-based um, marketing professional and I am co-founder of Become. Um, so Become supports young women of colour to kickstart their careers. Um, so it all kind of came up. You know, I've been to lots of events and I've organised a lot of events in, in and around London mainly. Um, and you hear from these incredible speakers um, and it's very inspiring, but you don't actually ha hear how you can get there too. There's no tangible like foot in the door. So it's all about um, hearing from these amazing speakers, yes, but then also following up with mentoring opportunities, shadowing opportunities, internships, grad schemes, scholarships, um, whatever our speakers can offer. Um, and we've got a really broad range of speakers from lots of different industries. So law, maths, coding, you name it. <laughs> um, and it's all in partnership with CAMFED. So in coming to the event, um, you'll also be helping uh, women in Africa with their education as well. Cool. And myself and Amy, we, we met through a mutual connection, uh, Rita, through, we're both uh, members of Women in Hospitality Travel Tech. Um, mm -hmm. So we're both kind of big advocates for um Females within that that industry and myself as an ally and Amy is an integral part of that group as well. Um, we'll come to you, Rich. Hello, <laughs> uh, I'm Rich. Uh, I'm a diversity co consultant and creative director. Uh, also founder of the Diversity Standards Collective. Uh, we're a kind of a hybrid agency, um, basically, which looks to connect any company with diversities and opinions from across the globe, so we can stop misrepresenting in content and advertising. Um, and produce more authentic um, communications, in a nutshell. Cool, thank you. And last by no means least, um, Pat, you appeared on the very, very first episode of Diversity, so thanks for joining us. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Sure thing. I was about to start that way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Pat Caldwell. I am the head of people at FundApps. We are a small tech company that works with fine institutions all over the world to help them stay compliant with uh, a growing changing base of regulation across the world this is my second uh, second uh, time being part of diversity uh, i am from my home office in new york as well although have come via australia and uk on the way um my passion for a long time has been around lgbt inclusion um amongst obviously a, a broader field of inclusion mostly because i've spent most of my life and most of my career pretending to be straight um so that lived experience i guess has driven me to really want to try and create workplaces where um regardless of people's backgrounds identities perspectives they uh they have a home and a place to, to contribute and do their best work cool thank you very much and i'm chris i am the founder of your dni um we run diversity inclusion workshops um, we also carry out audits and consultancy for your business as well uh, and all things diversity and inclusion and also your host today um, of diversity podcast um again just want to say a big thanks for everyone for joining us today i just want to start obviously um this week's national inclusion week um within the within the uk and the theme being each one reach one um, I know there's been a lot of conversations about what that actually means. I mean, for me, it, it's more of a kind of pay it forward um, type thing where we're having these conversations with people around inclusion um, and hoping that conversation will continue um, 
to, to kind of lead on to, to conversation with other people. Um, Steve, I know obviously you've been quite prominent this week in social media about kind of your, your views on National Inclusion Week. What does it mean to you, each one, each one? Good question. I, I think for me, like, it, it kind of, I was having a conversation with my best friend, actually, over um, text last night about this. We'd seen me sharing stuff yesterday and was kind of playing a little bit of devil's advocate, similar to the way you were, Pat, on uh, LinkedIn, just before we all dove and um, kind of like saying, oh, it's all firing well, like it's talking about inclusion and everything, but I don't really have time to do that. And I feel like I'm doing my bit already. There's others that can be doing that within the organisation. So I feel like the one week one message is a really good opportunity to actually get everybody to play a role in being more inclusive. Because look at it this way. I looked on LinkedIn, um, around, especially around BLM, in the depths of the lockdown, kind of all these being drills started popping up everywhere. Um, and I think it should be something that falls on the shoulders of just one person. And then an that's essentially what inclusion kind of means to me. It means everybody taking responsibility and moving that forward. Yeah. Um, I suppose that leads on quite nicely to you, Amy, because I know we were having a bit of a conversation about these um, roles last week, weren't we? Um, what does yeah. it mean to you and kind of what's what's your thoughts, I suppose, on these roles that are coming through just now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely positive that companies are, are striving to change. Um, I think a lot of companies don't actually know what, what to do. They just want to be a part of the conversation and they do want to change. And it all comes from a good place, but um, they might not be well advised on the best course of action. Um, I think it's really important to, um, you know, have a seat at the table and be an active part of the conversation. So I personally found that, you know, doors don't tend to be closed um, to someone like me. Uh, but I do find that when I'm when I'm in, when I'm actually present in these offices or meetings, oh. so, woman of colour. Um, and to be completely honest, I'm never sure if that's because of my age or because of my um, race or my gender. It's, I mean, it could be anything, but I just definitely feel that there's not, nobody looks to me for the answer. They look to, you know, my white male colleague and expect them to have the answers. So I think um, inclusion means, uh, yeah, you know, yes, being allowed through the door, but then also listen to when you're there. Um, that's why it has to be about diversity, inclusion and equality. Yeah. Um, you know, just by me being there, the company's ticked off their diversity quota in some capacity, but actually, are they then in, in involving you in the conversation and are they treating you equally to, you know, your other employees? Yeah, most definitely. I think that that's a, a really good point. Um, Pat, what does inclusion mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. I suppose everyone's going to have a, a slightly different view on the basis of their own lived experience. Um, I guess I can only take it from times that I've either felt inclusion or not felt inclusion. For me, I think the biggest part of my own inclusion is having psychological safety. Um, it's knowing that when I come to work each day, sometimes even when I go home each day, that I do feel a sense of safety in um you know, being who I am and, and displaying my own identity. Um, now, that's extremely fluffy for a lot of HR teams to try and, you know, take that concept and apply it across the whole company, right? Yeah. And it is usually unfairly HR teams who are uh, kind of held accountable for doing that, even though it's everyone's responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I, I know I'm in an inclusive workplace when um, 
it's less conscious around how I'm actually having to behave. Um, I don't have to think about whether I need to be careful describing my partner as a he, or I don't need to think about whether I can talk about my own history with LGBT or some of the causes I volunteer with or something like that. It's, uh, it happens naturally and that's when you know it's there. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that, that's quite important. Um, what about you, Jack, as well? What does the, the word mean to you, um, the word inclusion? Yeah, no, I mean, I would tend to agree with that, that it goes um, to the to the distance of creating the ultimate goal of a workplace where you have a real sense of belonging, um, where you are respected and celebrated and catered for, for who you are and where who you are doesn't hold you back in any way. You know, there's, you can do anything you want to do and achieve any goal that you want to achieve. Um, and yeah, I mean, the each one reach one piece, um, that butterfly effect of encouraging people to collaborate with each other and speak to each other and just keep the, the inclusion topic up there amongst people. And that's, that's where the barriers get broken down and people can actually make real change. That's yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's been quite interesting this year is I, I feel like there's been more activity around National Inclusion Week this year. There's been more um, social media posts. There's been a lot more activity on LinkedIn. There's a lot more businesses talking about it as well, which can, can only be the positive thing. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit based on Pat's comments on Steve's post earlier on LinkedIn. Um, so between the two of you, what comes first, diversity, inclusion, or belonging? Uh, the, the post that you're talking about, so I, asked, I did a poll on LinkedIn last week and asked people to say which one of those, and it came out as 50% belonging and 41% inclusion. It was only 32 factors, so it represents a lot larger population. But um, it does put a seed in my head. I was like, oh, especially because I spent my career working in recruitment, the targets are set for, for the number of females, the number of black people, the number of gay people, and we're not really kind of doing any favour focusing on that. Those stats that have come um, are representative of what we're thinking. Um, but then, Pat, you um, played the role advocate and suggested... Yeah, and <laughs> I should put the, the, the disclaimer on that one as well. Um, the I guess the, the question I asked is, we I think we're all fairly confident that over time, if you get inclusion and belonging right, you should be able to build more diversity within your team. Um, if you've really got like all the pillars in place, right from you know the start of your recruitment process through to your engagement of your people, how you develop, how you promote, if you get all that right, you should be able to bring in a more diverse workforce. And uh, it came up a couple of weeks ago around, um, you know, when I joined FundApps, FundApps was already actually incredibly diverse for a tech company. I think we were close to 40% female representation. We had good LGBT representation. We had, I think, 17 nationalities in the first 26 people or something like that. So from all metrics aside, actually, it, it looked like a fairly diverse kind of workforce. And without any HR support, without any DNI strategy, I felt inclusion from the moment I walked in. And the, the challenge I think I was throwing back on, on LinkedIn was, is there in some shape or form um, a way that it works both ways? If you have a more diverse team, are you more likely to actually have 
uh, an accelerated rate of inclusion? Is it easier to reach inclusion if you already have diversity? Mm. Mm -hmm. I, I, can I answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely agree with you because I think that if we go from a basis that most companies are predominantly straight and white males, I think inclusion comes first because inclusion to me is that when I walk into a meeting, I feel like those people aren't prejudging me on my diversity, for example, because as a, as a white gay man, I can feel my privilege and feel it being lost. So I can walk into a meeting, talk about myself, talk about my, the fact that I've got a kid and these set of stereotypes and presumptions are put on me as a, that I'm a straight white guy with a kid. As soon as I come out or drop the bombshell that, um, I'm not only divorced from a man, but I've got a boyfriend, etc. Everyone gets really confused and they're like, well, you know, and then, then these different sets of ideals come upon me and actually then I'm slightly not listened to or people don't know how to approach certain conversations and I can feel the change. And actually, inclusion to me is them not placing those judgments on me and treating me the same, whatever they hear, whatever, you, you know, what they hurt, what I'm trying to say. Um, play, yeah, you're not, not changing upon me what they hear, basically. Or you know, if you if you don't have the sense that I do, you know, if you if you are a person of colour, you can't walk in with that same change. So people should be approaching the same way. If your team is more diverse already, everybody has the same mindset of including people who are different. So I think that accelerates because I, I I personally think that when you're part of a community, you embrace lots of others as well, and you are much more willing to hear people's stories, not mm -hmm. prejudge people on what you've heard, whereas if you're not from those communities, you don't. So I would tend to say that I agree with you that a diverse workforce means that you can walk in and felt, feel like you belong because everybody's different and brilliant for it. Yeah. Charlotte, what's your, what's your point of view on that? I've been sat here just in awe of everyone's um, opinions and views because, well, honestly, the the energy and the the views that um, that you're all sharing are, are, are just exactly how I'm feeling. But I think earlier on in the um, discussion, diversity of thought was mentioned, and this is something that I'm really um, trying to factor into a lot of our processes and a lot of how we even approach meetings because, you know, what we're talking about here is the visible um, and there's a lot of factors to be taken into account with neuro neurodiversity and how do we actually have the inclusion to meetings to make sure that people can express in a way that they feel safe uh, or that they actually, you know, have that space and freedom to process and then come back to the virtual room. Um, so that would be the only spin that I'd put on it at Experian where we've seen a massive increase in engagement since um, people have been able to, to work from home. So it's been, COVID has done really well for our um, autistic uh, members of, of our teams because they felt that, you know, they're in an environment that is um, stimulating them um, from a sensory point of view and they're having time to read through agendas and preset questions and meetings and stuff like that. So in that aspect, this last year has been a real growth area for Experian uh, to be able to have that neurodiversity inclusion um, more than actually the, the more physical elements. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. That's, that kind of um, shouts a lot about the type of organisation that Experian is and kind of the, the type of inclusivity they're promoting um, because the, there have been some horror stories out there of... Um, autistic members of staff and other organisations have had a really, really hard time adapting to working from home um, because they've almost been lost. 
um, because there's just been no communication. So that speaks volumes for, for kind of the, the amazing work that you're doing at Experian and that there's been a real focus in making sure that everybody's involved in everything that's happening at the minute. So uh, kudos to, to you guys. Um, so I suppose the next question for, for me is, and I'm going to open this out, so feel free to, to answer. Um, when was the last time you felt included? In society or within business? When was the last time you felt included? Oh, sorry, I've frozen that. It's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> I'm back. Um, yeah, when I was with you when we when we started the Women Hotel Travel Tech um, project that they asked us both to work on. So you know, there were five of us. We were all from different places, time zones, backgrounds. Um, but all of our voices were really valued. Uh, you know, as experts on this task. So particularly in the kind of coronavirus setting. You know, you, you run you run a Zoom call in your bedroom, and I was just sat talking to someone in Scotland, um, Berlin, Los Angeles, um, and in the context of a global pandemic, you can easily feel, you know, excluded or marginalised or isolated. Um, but that's what made it so special because you kind of come together still to kind of achieve this shared goal. I got to speak to some amazing people, um, and uh, you know, everyone wanted to listen to my voice and my ideas as much as I wanted to listen to, to theirs. So there's no sense of competition or you know, fighting to be heard at all or anything like that, because everyone was given the respect they deserved as people who had you know authority on the subjects. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would echo that. I think it was it's quite a special group of people that that we have yeah. as part of that that project. Um, and I think it's something that WHTT do really, really well, is bringing different people with different experiences together and really creating that sense of inclusion, that sense of belonging, and ensuring that everybody's voices are heard. So I think it's, it's really important. Um, Jack, what about you? Um, I think my experiences might be slightly different. As my background's in financial services. I've worked in a lot of asset managers, um, and private banks within the UK. And as a straight white male, I'm, I form the majority. So I come, come in every day. I've never felt marginalised, uh, particularly other than maybe the fact that I haven't, everyone I work with had a degree and I don't. But there's, that's far from anything anyone else has had to put up with. Um, so I felt, certainly I've never felt unincluded through work. Um, but I've certainly been you know, by far the, the massive majority, certainly where I am and where I've worked in the past, that improving inclusion was more on my mindset than feeling included, mm. um, which is why I've, I've branched out into doing this because I was at a stage in my life turning 30, sitting down, having kids. Um, do I want for my future generations of my family to come into the industry that I was working in and feel unincluded themselves? And I didn't want that for them. And it would be enough, certainly my experiences, to actually put them off actually joining certain aspects of yeah. my industry, which was particularly within trading. Um, and, yeah, but that's probably my input. I've never felt particularly marginalised as such. So through, through the work that I do... I've always felt included, but it's a real push to try and improve inclusion for others. Yeah. What was quite interesting there is when you, you mentioned about not having a degree compared to a lot of other co-workers and things, was that ever, like, 
did that ever impact any aspect of your career, the fact that you didn't? Because I've been in that situation myself where I couldn't progress any higher up within a business because I don't have a degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, within, uh, certainly within recruitment, when I've been, I've applied for a job at a particular hedge fund and they came back to me and said, you've got 10 years experience as a trader, you can do the job, but we refuse to hire people who haven't got the degree. Yeah. So don't, even get, don't get through the door. So... Yeah, it's it's like you're thick, you can't do anything. It's yeah, a, yeah. a ridiculous yeah. thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Ten, 10 years of industry experience versus me going out and getting drunk when I was 18. And, yeah. My degree was, was, was colouring in for a living, so I don't know how that counts <laughs> to be intelligent. Mine would have been, I was good at heart. Charlotte, I suppose kind of coming over to you, like obviously we met last year at Think Inclusive and that's kind of where our, our connection started. Um, I, know, I know you've opened up a lot in the last 12 months about kind of your personal side of your life, I suppose. But so when was the last time you felt included, either again in a social instance or, or kind of within the working environment? I really loved what, um, what was said earlier on the call when... Um, I can't remember who it was, so apologies, but mentioned that um, inclusion was just being able to be yourself without question and feeling safe in doing so. So I would say that since I am um, 32, only came out at work when uh, literally a year ago, but I've been out in my personal life for, um, oh, for since I was 18. And um, for me, like coming out at work was a huge I put it on this massive pedestal and really just, I felt like this big, um, like I'd deceived people and do you know what, I must say, people cottoned on, they knew something wasn't right, I got some feedback off someone that said, um, like as part of an end of year review, said, hey Charlotte, you know, you're great at this, this, this and this, but I can't help but feel you're, you're withholding something and I was like, do you know what, shit, I like, had a word with myself and thought, yeah, I'm just going to just be myself and now it's like I don't feel that I have to explain things I can be scatty I can be me and I literally just feel like there's no there's no curtain um and it is just me being myself at work um I also love that now I can just say yeah I'm by and people are like oh okay but I do think that that is um some privilege around my gender as well I think that there's a lot of stigma against um, people who identify as um, as male or as trans that are bi and that, that probably wouldn't have the same reception. So I am very aware of that um, as well. But yeah, I think every day I feel accepted at Experian and, and socially, I mean, my family still think things are a phase. I'm from a religious family and they think things are a phase. And, you know, sometimes it's a case of picking the conversations that I have with them um, and whether or not it's worth my time. Um, but if, when it comes to other people, I'll be relentless in being an ally. Um, but because I can accept, you know, how my family view me and that's up to me. But when it comes to how my family um, will speak about something, uh, you know, that I consider myself to be an ally for, I'll absolutely um be there representing so I think at work it's now just all day every day but in, from a family perspective um, and where my religion my family's religion comes into play it's a little bit more complex yeah 
Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think that happens quite a lot with with families and when religions involved as well. Is that it can be a bit more complex, and I suppose it's almost choosing your battles um, and about those types of conversations that you want to have. Um, I think what was what was really great last year is when you kind of publicly came out on LinkedIn is the response that you got and you were almost this kind of beacon of you know what it's okay to be bi um, and it's it's a thing and it's it's real and it exists and it's not just a phase and it's not just a, a kind of thing that you go through and I think for a lot of people like you were that kind of first point of call and the I see more and more people kind of owning the fact that they're bisexual now um, on social media. And I think you're, for me, you're partly responsible for that um, because of the, the positivity that you sent out there and the message that you sent out there last year. So um, I think it's, it's amazing what, what you do and kind of what you did uh, historically as well. Oh, thank you. That's that's a real honour. I, I wear that. I wear that badge with pride. Thank you. Yeah, I need to get your badge, a badge made up or something, and then you can have an actual physical badge. Yeah. Um, I suppose going on from inclusion, um, Amy, I'll come to you first, and I'll, I'll move on to, to Steve as well. Is when was the last time you felt excluded? Oh, I mean. There's, there's been so many times I'm going to be I'm going to be really truthful here it does happen all the time um and it's not something that is overt necessarily but um I've been working in the technology industry for two years now um it's very masculine very corporate and um quite hierarchical as well um there's a set order um and almost without fail every meeting I've had um where I've invited along uh, a male business manager in the team, they have assumed he's the one in charge every single time. So he's the one they address their questions to. He's the one they shake hands with first. He's the one they look at throughout the meeting, even when I'm talking. Um, and you feel as if you shouldn't be there. You feel as if you're sat in the wrong meeting. Like, um, you know, you feel frustrated. You basically feel like everything you're saying is falling on deaf ears and um, that they'd just be more comfortable if I got up and made them a cup of tea or like start cleaning up after them or something. Um, like the feeling of being sat next to a colleague and people assuming they're your boss just because of their colour or sex is very frustrating and so undermining. Like you work so hard to get to where you are. To have people just dismiss you on something that's out of your control is is quite difficult. That's I find that really frustrating. Um, and I really struggle not to do this whole kind of like sort of one-upmanship and try and justify myself and why I'm there <laughs> I kind of feel like I should I need to do that but um but you don't I realize you really don't you can't change other people um and if they if they want to have that perception of you fine I prefer to kind of um smash my work <laughs> and prove them wrong in that aspect yeah um I don't know if you're, you're, you're open to sharing but obviously when we first had our, our, our chat a couple of months ago and you talked about your experience at university as well and the situation around eye colour um yeah mad like that is it's it's still i mean it is rare to have um you know to be mixed race or to be um black and have blue eyes and i get people come up to me all the time and um, sometimes sometimes like you're weird like are your eyes real like you wearing contact lens and i'm like no they're, they're real <laughs> they're mine thank you so much um but, it, <laughs> but at uni, there was like there's this lecture we're reading a book and it was about a a, a black slave um girl in the in the book who wanted blue eyes because uh, she was taught that was beautiful um and the lecturer made a comment in front of everyone saying oh but that would have been so weird if she'd had blue eyes like can you imagine 
Um, and without like everybody, I could just feel these eyes on me. I was just like, just swallow me into the ground, please. Like it was the most uncomfortable feeling of like, I don't belong. And also, you know, she's basically saying that would be weird. Like I look strange, which is also not nice. As a, as a girl at uni, you're like, no, we, you don't want to be told that you're ugly or weird or whatever. So that I struggled with for a long time is, is yeah, wanting to fit in. But because of, um, because of my looks, I guess I don't. Yeah. I think, yeah. was, was the book in question, was that the, the bluest eye? Um, was that the, the book that you were reading at the time? It was, no, it was um, oh, Bernadine Evaristo. Um, I forgot the name of the book. I'm going to have to look it up. But it's one of Bernadine Evaristo's, um, okay. whose other book, Girl, Woman, Other, is also amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, uh, The Bluest Eye. Uh, it's, it sounds like quite a similar story and a quite a similar book, so that's also worthwhile another um, look, that's on your read list for, for next month, Amy. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um, Steve, we'll come, we'll come to you. What, what, when was the last time you felt excluded in, in a situation? It's like a, so a lot of you, what you were just saying, Amy, around kind of being dismissed, people trying to warm up and things tapped into a lot of kind of the last time I felt excluded. So I'm a big fan of empathy and self compassion. I'm doing some work around Brene Brown at the moment. And um, kind of, I think for me, when he isn't listening, I feel excluded. And the kind of the closest example I've got recently is, is kind of, Sadly, one of the reasons why I'm living in London, to be honest, if I tell the absolute truth whilst we're all together, is kind of like living with somebody during lockdown that was a friend that we didn't necessarily ever see ourselves living and working together for six months. Um, it creates a lot of tension, it creates a lot of conflict and things get brought up. And I do suffer occasionally from depression and I went into a bit black hole and they just didn't really cope with that very well. Um, and their reaction to it was to kind of finger point and poke and ask invasive questions. And it pushed me away. That's the reason that I decided to move out of that house. So I feel excluded when somebody isn't listening. That can be in the form of not paying attention, um, trying to fix the problem for me, or just not leaving the space to talk and not to talk over me. So they can be able to admit that I should be by myself. That <laughs> 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 um, kind of like I came in from work one day with a, a housemate before I started working for myself. And I, how how did you do? Oh, it was so bad. And then, like forty-five minutes later, I'd be waiting, still waiting for that. And how was your house? Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> so that, that it's it's got to listen to me, which is mm-hmm. part of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. And I, th- I think that sometimes happens with your mental health as well. When you want to talk to someone about your mental health, if you have go- gone down that dark hole, is that some people don't believe it, it exists. Some people don't believe it's real. Um, so you're kind of saying that you're suffering from anxiety. So I had an anxiety attack a few, a few weeks ago. And people are just like, oh, no, you're just getting yourself worked up. It's like, well, no, that's not it. You, you literally feel like you're going to die and you want to talk to someone about it and you want that support. Um, and people just, some people, not obviously all people, but some people just don't get that actually mental health is very real, it's very dangerous, um, and sometimes you just want someone to listen to what it is that you've got to say. And I think that's what you needed at that time, Steve, is just for, for someone to actually have a shoulder or, or have an ear just to kind of for you to, to kind of open up and, and talk about what was going on. Um, yeah. 
Right, it's coming to you. Obviously, the the line of work that you do as well is obviously working with um, some brands and agencies around kind of uh, diversity and in- inclusion. Do you think they're, they're getting it right at the moment? I know we, we did an episode of the podcast about this last week, but do you think that businesses are getting inclusion right when it comes to kind of media and advertising? Or do you think there's still a, a lot to do? Uh, I, I think there's 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 definitely a lot to do. I think in the last couple of months, it's really been a turning point for a lot of people to realise where people actually stopped and listened for the first time, rather than um, try to solve a problem they didn't understand in the first place. Um, if you talk about exclusion, like as a gay man, like exclusion is something that happened to me as soon as I came out. And you're kind of, when you ask, name a specific time that I'm excluded, I kind of feel like I'm excluded out of most things, unless somehow I, that I'm, I, you're not otherwise. I think um, that's why it's so scary when you first come out, because you're kind of deciding to be excluded. You're, you're included in everything, and then you decide that you, you know that as soon as you come out, you're going to be excluded from certain conversations and certain things. Um, and the advertising industry especially has a big part to play in that because they excluded um, all different types of minority groups and they still do for, for you know, years. You know, I, one, I said to you, Chris, before, one part of the reason why I came into um, the Diversity Standards Collective was because I've got a five-year-old and as much as I tell her having gay dads, it doesn't make her different. Advert- she's 97% less likely to see a family like hers in advertising and marketing than her friends. Yeah. So even even now, her when I when she's playing with toys, she'll say, This has got a mummy and a daddy, and I would be like, Oh, well, you know, maybe that squirrel's got two daddies. She's like, No. <laughs> you know, this and I can notice because all of her friends play it like that. And I think we're at a turning point, just to go back to your question, we're at a turning point now where um, a horrendous occasion has suddenly made a lot of people, as I said, listen rather than try to solve it, which is great. We just need to be putting that into action now. You know, there's, there's. Uh, I just had a big rant on LinkedIn because I saw um, that Trump had decided that he was going to stop people from teaching about white supremacy and and unconscious bias. Yeah. For and you actually can be um, taken off the government register or whatever if you start teaching it. And I'm like, okay, great. So at a pivotal point where people have started to listen, he's going to stop people talking about. You know, people are realizing that we had those problems. And that we're ready to say, yeah, we, we made those mistakes. Let's make sure this is a more equal place. Yeah. And he's stopping that. So for me, this is a perfect time for those allies who've, who've shouted about it over the last three months to stand up and say, we're not doing what you say. We're going to stand by what we believe in just to prove it's not lip service. Yeah. And it's such a weapon. I was just what I was just going to say there is that um, it's obviously happening on both sides of the pond at the moment as well. We had the Tories come out last week and say that they weren't going to do unconscious bias training. And it's well, why not? If we're expecting businesses to run it out and to talk about diversity and inclusion and to talk about unconscious bias and how this country can move forward, especially everything that's happened this year, and then for our government to turn around and say, "Now nah, we're not going to do it," um, because they're, they're probably scared about the type of biases that they have and what's going to come out. Yeah, they felt like it was a trap, I think. I think they literally just thought that everyone was going to be like, see, you're racist, like exactly. this. But it's not yeah. like everybody has an unconscious bias. It's almost impossible to be 50-50. Like. Yeah. What was really disappointing as well is um, one of the uh, MPs is our, our local MP um, for Ashfield, which is North Nottingham, um, Ben Bradley. And I've spoken about him uh, previously on, on another podcast as well. Is um, Ashfield is not the most fanciest of areas shall we say it's like former mining towns and 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 there's a lot of low socioeconomic status within um the ashfield district um 
And for him to come out and say, actually, I don't want to learn about my biases against everybody else, perhaps from a lower socioeconomic group or people of colour, that, like, as a representative from our area, like, I was disgusted by it. Uh, and I've actually, I'd never do this, but I've actually written an email to him um, because of this, and I've asked him for an interview as part of our future podcast series to see if he's willing to have a conversation about it. I doubt it. However, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um... Pat, I'm going to come to you because obviously, previous to, to fund apps, you were in quite a, a masculine industry, shall we say? Yeah, you could say that. Um, yeah, most of my career has been in the Australian mining industry, um, which obviously is uh, highly dominated by masculine, sometimes second, third generational people, lots of small little towns, uh, small little mining communities set up um and i made a very conscious decision that that wasn't the kind of environment where i felt like i wanted to be myself um that went for about five years or so um and after a while i think i became pretty good at playing straight um it actually felt kind of natural um you know that when somebody you walk into the office and somebody says um you know how how was your weekend? And you might have gone on a, a date. You might have been with a local uh, LGBT organization. And you know how quickly to just be able to say, yeah, pretty quiet. Watched a bit of Netflix. How was yours? Yeah. And know how to deflect that conversation away. Um, and after a while, it's you get pretty good at it. And it got to one point where the first person in the mining industry who um, I shared this part of me with, I think, delivered probably uh, what I still hold as the masterclass in empathy and listening. <laughs> Um, and I think it comes back to what Steve said around the ability to genuinely take on and demonstrate empathy and sit with that person both mentally and physically and, and, and talk about what's going through with open ears. And after I shared with her, she was my manager at the time, uh, after I shared with her, look, I'm gay, um, she didn't do the two most obvious things, which are generally counterproductive. Normally it's, well, I don't care about that. I don't see it. It's like when all the people say, well, I don't see the color of your face. Yeah. Like, well, you should see the color of people's face. Yeah. It's a huge part of their identity. Um, so the same thing, well, I don't want you not to care about the fact that I'm gay. It's had the biggest influence on my approach to HR out of anything else in my life. I want you to care. That's why I'm telling you. Or the opposite one, which is almost trying to normalize it too far. Oh, my sister's gay. Yeah, I always play the joke with people because I think it's, it's a very, it, it's harmless. It's just, I think it's well intended, just poorly executed. I normally play the joke when somebody says, oh, you know, I, um, I know, uh, I know Bob, he's gay and everything. He's, he's from Australia too. And I'm like, yeah, gay Bob from Australia. We go, we go a long way back. Um, and it's well intended, poorly executed. And she was the first example of someone who I think got it from an empathy and listening because the only thing she said to me was, thank you so much for sharing that part of you with me. I really appreciate it. And that was it. And I left that conversation not feeling like I needed to tell anyone else in the mining industry because I had that space. She created that space as a manager, regardless of what HR teams did, regardless of how many, you know, flags we were putting up for Mardi Gras and Pride, regardless of the, you know, the purple cake sale to raise money for LGBT charities. None of that mattered because my manager created a space where um, I felt for the first time probably in my life, I felt genuine inclusion. Um, And that for me, I, I... I hold that as, you know, the people who've, who've uh, shared their, their sexuality and gender identity since then. Um, I always reflect on that experience. Listen, take it on, thank them, and do nothing else. Um, yeah. th- and it normally does well. And I think that's really powerful. I think empathetic listening is something that really ad- 
as of this year is starting to come to the forefront. I know, Steve, you posted about it the other day there on, on Instagram. Um, and I think it's something that needs to start happening more. We, I think as a species, we, we want to kind of come up with resolutions really, really quickly and we want to try and resolve an issue. But actually, we're not listening to what people are truly saying. So like what you're saying there, Pat, is that you told your boss or the, the member of HR that, that you were gay. However, you didn't really want it to go any further. You didn't need to have a conversation with someone else because she listened to what it was that you were saying. She could have easily have gone around the office and be like, Pat's gay, Pat's gay, Pat's gay. Um, but actually, her ability to listen to you empathetically um, was was really, really important. And I think that's something that more and more people are starting to do. We've still obviously got a, lot of way, a long way to go. Um, and I think that's why allies are so important. And Jack, like you've said, you, you're a, a white, straight, privileged male. Um, but as an ally to all things diversity and inclusion, you've set up this wonderful space and this community that you're trying to create through DINK. Um, I think that's really, really important. We need more people like Jack to be able to make a way for us and to help support um, anybody who's diverse um, going forward. Um, I suppose we're, we'll, we'll wrap up in a second. I just want to, so obviously, again, each one reach one is the big focus for, for this week. I just want to ask everyone, what are you going to do to pay it forward this week? Pat, I know you're in New York, but um, but if everyone can commit to one thing that they could pay forward this week with regards to inclusion, um, whether that's having a conversation with someone, having a cup of tea with someone, um, sharing an article, anything like that. Um, Charlotte, we'll start with you. Oh, that's a really great question. Um, as experience, what we're doing actually is um, having honest conversations with ourselves, really, uh, to try to say, to identify our missed opportunities to be allies uh, or to improve the way that we work. Um, so uh, one of my missed opportunities um, has uh, recent, uh, in the last year or so been, and probably way before that as well, to be honest, uh, it's not applying an inspectional lens to my prize uh, network leadership uh, as much as I could. Um, so then when you've then identified your opportunity, you then turn that into action. So how am I going to ensure that I correctly um, follow up with our menopause network or our uh, blacker experience network to make sure that I'm sharing the great work that we're doing, but then also offering them allyship into uh, how can the pride network support them. Uh, so that's going to be my um, my goal now for forever until I get better at it. Love it, uh, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I had a. Um, I think when you're in DNI and you talk about it quite a lot, a lot of the time, especially when you're facilitating, I do a lot of um, with agencies like facilitate conversations. Um, and I find actually that when people put things on me, sometimes I can get a bit defensive. I don't think I'm outwardly being overly defensive. I think we all sometimes, when you talk about it so much, it actually takes an emotional toll on you that you're, you know, because you realistically you're, you're just talking about respect each other but in such a hybrid way that you kind of feel like you're fighting a battle for everybody or your whole, you know, every gay man is in the uh, LGBT person fighting for. So my real thing at the moment is just to make sure that even when people come back to me with um, some sort of defensive comment, I portray to them the same reaction I expect from them, which is this empathy and listening. So I don't, I don't come back, even if it's, even if they're wrong and I have a correct answer for them or I feel like they're, 
being homophobic or disrespectful to another community. If that's not the place, I try and come back to them because it completely, I found in the last, literally the last week, it completely diffuses them to start listening. So that's mm. a, a framework that I'm trying to take on at the moment. Cool. <laughs> it's to be, be what we expect from others, I suppose. I love that. Um, Jack? Um, I think for me this week, it's, it's mostly about going to be having meaningful conversations with as many people as I can in the lead up to our launch as well. So just taking on as much information as I can, where are we taking as much feedback, where are we potentially failing, areas we could be adding to, and just making sure that we, we're doing everything as right as possible um, and continuing to, you know, to wave the flag of allyship. Perfect. Uh, Pat? Yeah, mine's um, a fairly specific one, I guess, because we're kind of midway through it. Um, uh, we often talk about diversity and inclusion in a range of, um, I think, things we're, we're familiar with when it comes to, you know, people's gender, people's sexuality, their age, the colour of their skin. And two of the, the topics that we really haven't approached that much as a company have been A, around neurodiversity, which was mentioned before, really understanding the impact of that at work, really understanding what are the practical things our managers can do and I can support them with to um, build an inclusive culture for, for neurodiverse people. And the other one is intersectionality. Um, we're a little bit too linear when we think about diversity sometimes. And I think we need to understand what lived experience looks like as a company from all of the various people who are uh, immigrant women in America um, uh, and, you know, going through a whole range of different emotions, which can't just be, you know, cast as, you know, one certain thing. You know, the lens I look through it is as a white male gay person. Um, that is intersectionality. I think we can go a bit deeper than just a single layer of, of diversity. So that's on our cards, two topics we want to approach fund apps to, uh, to start working on this week. Amazing. And Steve? types of diversity that's something that I'm really kind of piecing together um, and I think with with Black Lives Matter movement um, it was incredibly positive on the whole um, and I'm so so glad it happened but I'm also quite exhausted <laughs> um, I think I have a lot of friends and I think I was their kind of um, go-to for information for a long time and I think now I'm just kind of coming over that hill <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I don't have to be everybody's go-to. I can just say, go read a book or like, I think that um, now I, I kind of want to focus on, on family. <laughs> it sounds really trite amongst all this, but you know, really, recently my, you know, I came from um, Manchester originally, then uh, moved to Cambridge when I was, 
all of my black family in Manchester around me to literally all white, except my mum, my sister, and my brother. Um, and, you know, that has an effect on you. Um, as a mixed race person, you sometimes feel like you belong everywhere and sometimes like you belong nowhere. It's quite a complicated thing sometimes. Um, and I think for my mum right now, she's back home in Cambridge. I'm in London. And she's literally the only black person in Cambridge. I mean, you can contest that, but I'm pretty sure. And um, I think I just need to be there for her right now. Um, I think she's she's been doing an amazing job. She's got a book club um, that she has with her friends. But, you know, I think there's a lot of questions that come at her. How do you feel about this, Maureen? how do you feel about this and how do you feel about this book about slavery again or about this this black person narrative again and um i think that's pretty exhausting yeah. so um family <laughs> i love that yeah that, that's, that's nice. i think intersectionality has come up quite a lot uh, in what everyone's been saying in conversations and i think for me i think it's something that i need to explore more as well as is intersectionality as as a place to grow not only as an individual but also as a business as well um and reading more so i have God knows how many books on diversity and inclusion and a lot of them have read but there's still a lot more that I, I need to do and I'm able to read these books and then pass on that information or pass on the books to someone else kind of moving forward I think that, that's quite important because there's no point in holding on to these things so if I can gift them to someone else um, that, that'd be a, a really good thing um, and also we're launching a book club as well as part of your DNI. so our book club launches next month as part of Black History Month um, in association with WHTT um, so we're partnering with them to, to launch um, the book club uh, middle of next month so there's more information to come out from that um, I just want to say a big big thank you to everyone from all over um, to um, for taking the time to obviously spend uh, with us this afternoon and it's been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate the time that everyone's given up because um, I know everyone's super busy this week with everything that's going on. Um, and join us next time for episode two of Diversity and um, more information to follow this week. But again, big thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. See you Bye. Bye. <laughs>